a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ryan Meeks, and after years of trying to make life work as a struggling artist, independent filmmaker, and musician, I thought to myself, hey, self, wouldn't it be helpful to ask other artists how they're finding their path in this world? And so now, that's exactly what I'm doing on a bi-weekly basis. Welcome to the Path of Art. Welcome to the Path of Art. I'm Ryan Meeks, and today we have Al Denier on the show. Al Denier, not only is she an artist, but she's a professor of art at the University of Utah. And I was lucky enough to take some of her classes when I went up there. Welcome to the show, Al. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, uh, do you want to do a little introduction about yourself? Uh, yeah. I, uh, so I, as, as you said, I teach at the University of Utah um, in the Department of Art and Art History. Um, I teach painting and drawing, and quite often people ask me, well, what classes do you teach? And I always say, well, I teach any of the painting and drawing classes. The best uh, ones. Quite a, lot, <laughs> quite a lot of them that we <laughs> offer, but yes, right, <laughs> that's what I do. Right. It's, it's all the best ones. That's the correct answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ones you should take. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Al, uh, I mean, I can describe your art a, a little bit to people. It, it seems kind of topographical is topographically influenced. Uh, how would you describe your art? Um, yes, topographically influenced is is a good one. Um, I <clears throat> I'm interested in um, using both representation, representational and non representational visual language in the work that I create. But I am very um, influenced by geology, geography. Um, I look at maps a lot um, for my inspiration. Um, I also look at a lot of um, aerial images um, that I find. Um, and I also describe myself as an obsessive mark maker. So that, that features largely in the way I make work. Lots of lines. Lots of very <laughs> tiny lines is, is a good way to describe what I do. <laughs> well, and if you haven't seen Al Daniels, make sure you look her up when you're listening to this podcast so that you can see what we're talking about. It's, it's some really interesting work, and there is a lot of time that goes into your pieces, I've I've seen you work extensively on them in in your office, and it. I mean, a, a, there's a lot of time that goes into into most art. I mean, but when you think of like a, a portrait, you know, you're you're thinking like you know forty to you know depending on the size, you know, forty to eighty hours, you know. But yours seem a lot longer. Uh, yes, <laughs> um, I've just I just finished a piece. Um, and I worked it out, and it, I, it's basically been <clears throat> something I've been working on for about a year, mm -hmm. um, on and off. I mean, obviously, because I'm I'm not in the studio all day, every day. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it's taken me a year to finish that piece. And um, you'll, if you see it, you'll realize, <laughs> you're like, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I see why. <laughs> 
And where uh, where has your art been seen? Um, so basically all over throughout my career, um, both nationally and internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I show quite a lot here in Utah and Salt Lake City in particular. And um, where... And you've been able to travel to some of these locations when your art is displayed, like say in New York or or uh, somewhere else. Uh, is what is what is that like when you have your piece somewhere and you just get to kind of go vacation to to see it? Uh, is, uh, <laughs> is that kind of how it is, or is it more like a work trip? For it's you? more like a work trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, actually, I just uh, recently was in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where my work was. Um, in an exhibition there and um, that was yeah it's, it's definitely work <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot of a lot a lot is involved with um, I suppose the business side of of uh, visual art where you make the work and then it once it's in the gallery and it, you have an opening it's it, it it's kind of more like business where mm-hmm. Yes, you're at the opening, but you're also there to help promote your work. Right. Um, so, yeah. And that's, uh, not to get on too far of a tangent here, but, and that's kind of the part that us creatives struggle with the most, I would say, is um, is that business portion of it. And um, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that when you're, when you're out there? Um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's tricky for a lot of artists. And, um, I think when you're, when you're at an opening in particular for your work, it's, I always think about how, how much of a sidestep that is, because as artists, visual artists, we're usually in the studio by ourselves and we're essentially introverts. Mm -hmm. When you go to an opening and you're there to promote your work, you suddenly have to become this extrovert and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it is quite a step from uh, the studio to the gallery sometimes, but um, yeah, it's something you have to you have to kind of find a way to to make that work because it is part of what you do as a visual artist, the the, the representing your work and um, you know promoting it somehow in in a gallery setting. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's talk about your most recent. Work. Was that the one where you went to? Um, sorry, did you say? Did you say Baltimore? Baltimore? Uh, yeah. No, actually, the, the most recent work um, I just finished, the one that was in my studio for a year, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is actually quite large, and that's partly why it took me so long to complete it. Um, and it's called Geosites, and it's sixty inches long by about thirty-six high, um, and. Essentially, it's a representation of the canyons, both the big and little Cottonwood canyons, Mm. um, and sort of inspired by a lot of the environmental issues that the canyons, or the Cottonwood canyons are facing right now, and, um, you know, with increased traffic and um, just a lot of environmental threat from different places. And I wanted to create a piece that represented this incredible geography of the canyons. And so, you know, getting back to basics and not looking at it in terms of um, ski resorts and um, tourism, but more about, okay, what created these incredible 
spaces or these incredible places to begin with. Um, and I was looking at how um, how actually both Big and Little Cottonwood Canyon were created by um, uh, glaciers many years ago. And uh, that was sort of, that became the starting point for, for that piece. And then thinking about how uh, the valleys or the canyons were created by these incredible ice forms over many years. And um, how does how is that um, depicted in your art? So if you were to describe it to someone um, that's, that's listening, how, how would you describe how that looks? Um, so... We talked about um, I use I use a lot of little lines, mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly in this piece, um, and interested in how um, topographical lines can describe form on a, a map, a two dimensional map, and sort of taking that as a starting point and, and utilizing the same um, uh, ge- um, sorry topographical lines in my work, but also using them in a way that there is a three-dimensional description of uh, mountains, valleys, Mm. um, and the the geography that that is there. Um, And I've also been looking at how um, images get somewhat um, altered through different processes, and particularly with a lot of the um, Google Earth imagery, the um, 3D Google Earth, um, I suppose it's like a simulation of an actual space. And I've been actually really interested in how that changes um, a, a landscape form in particular and makes it look a little bit different. Right. So that's also been a an inspiration for this work. So, and as we mentioned before, you're also a a professor up at the university. And so how do you make time for all of this? I mean, I imagine being a professor sucks up a lot of your time, right? (laughs) So, so how do you, how do you make sure that like, how do you find the balance, you know, family, professor, artist, how do you, how do you balance that out? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I often describe my job as, Quite often, teaching can be the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all everything else that goes into teaching or into preparing classes and grading and lots of other stuff that comes under my um, job title, yeah, it is tricky. Um, basically, I I just try to be creative and I try to be strict. We're blocking in studio time whenever I can. Um, Usually I like to get my um, paperwork done first mm-hmm. um, and then I usually have time to be in the studio. So, yeah, just just uh, it, it becomes a creative process <laughs> to find studio time quite often. But I do have summers, so that that, that is my main block of studio time mm-hmm. throughout you, the year. Do you find, because um, I know that's a real struggle for me, <laughs> balancing time and even keeping like a calendar, <laughs> you know, yeah. it just, yeah. it just doesn't work with me very well. Uh, Cause I, I, I'm just so off the cuff all the time. Do you, do you find that, um, I, I mean, maybe not off the cuff is the right phrase. What am I saying? Like, 
just spur the moment type of things. Like I, I just, when I think of something, I'm just like, I have to do that right now, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then everything I had planned kind of goes out the window. <laughs> and then I just hyper-focus on this one thing. Uh, maybe that's just ADD. I, you know, I do struggle with that. But um, do, you, do you find that to be like a kind of just something that creatives deal with? Like that most creatives have kind of that same kind of tendency where um, chaos is kind of better to thrive in? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, too, for a lot of people, what you were talking about, it's quite often difficult to just flip a switch and say, OK, here I am now in the studio. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really creative because that may not be your most creative time of the day. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, you're maybe watching the clock because you've got to pick your kid up from um, whatever they're doing. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think one thing I've found uh, has been quite useful is is having different types of work that I work on. So I have these larger pieces in the studio and then I have works on paper that I do and sometimes I'm uh, some of my works on paper are actually very small and that's usually what I take with me to the basketball practice or, um, you know, when I'm just waiting for my kid to <laughs> finish doing something or... That's usually my go-to when I'm not, you know, and I don't have a huge amount of time. I usually work on smaller pieces and I mm-hmm. can easily carry them with me and even sit in the car and work on those too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one. But I, I think having, just real, realizing that, recognizing it and thinking, okay, I don't always have to work on that big painting uh, to be doing studio work. I can be doing other stuff too. And, you know, documenting your work is also studio work. Mm-hmm. Does that ever flow into uh, a piece? Like if you're doing like kind of like a micro piece, it turns into a, a macro or uh, d- does that ever kind of work that way or or kind of describe how your creative process works on your paintings and, and if if that kind of fits in? Yeah, so quite often smaller pieces or little things that I'll do, you know, as I describe waiting for my kid or something, um, essentially become sketches for other works or other ideas. Um, But just to describe my process, so essentially I'll start with an idea and I'll research that and look into it and like research the subject pretty widely um, and then gather visual references. Um, And then next I'll sketch and just try out different materials and techniques. And that's when I work um, primarily on smaller pieces um, so that I can just, you know, work quicker. They're less precious to an extent. Uh, They don't always work out, which is fine. Um, And then often this process leads on to something different as well. So the the value of working through sketches is is so important in in my work because uh, I think mainly because it takes me so long. You know, my work is so time intensive that I can't start a piece and then realize, oh, <laughs> halfway through, this isn't working out. So I have to work it out first. I have to have it all worked out before I start putting huge amounts of time into into a piece. Um, and then once I've sort of worked that out, I'll start on larger scale pieces or more involved paintings or drawings. Um, and then the other the other way I work is I like to work in series. 
so therefore, usually I'll create between six to 12 finished works in each series. And by working this way, I feel I'm able to just dive deeper and explore my ideas mm. or starting points a little bit more. Um, not all of the pieces will always work out or be in the series. Um, sometimes I'll create a piece that's kind of so out there, it just doesn't fit mm-hmm. in that series. And then it becomes, usually it becomes a starting point for the next series. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, usually it'll, it'll just kind of go that way. And um, I end up, that's how I create a body of work through a, a series of works. Okay. And so, how uh, how do students or just artists like after they graduate from college, how how do you navigate the industry? Because I mean, there's various creative industries out there, but I think maybe the painting and drawing one is kind of just the most almost mysterious. <laughs> does, does that make sense? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and I would say there's no one formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of makes, in a way, makes it more difficult, which is like you, you mentioned the mis- the mysterious aspect to mm-hmm. it. Uh, because there's no one way. You can't just say, okay, when you leave college, you need to do this, 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 and this, and then you will be successful. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many um, paths, I think, that you can go down as a visual artist. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to think about visual artists, or particularly painting and drawing uh, people who use painting and drawing as, you know, that there's one career and that's the gallery artist career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually... Yeah, I believe that's the first thing, like, you think of. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Like when you're like, what am I going to do with this? Galleries, right? But actually there, there are so many other different paths that you mm-hmm. can take. And although many artists will exhibit and sell their work through galleries, it's important to remember that, you know, you can do so much more and have a huge amount of success doing that. Mm-hmm. Essentially, if you're a creative person and you're determined, you can make it work, is what I always tell students. Mm-hmm. And have you had um, any students that that you've seen them just kind of blossom afterward uh, and, and just kind of seen how, how unique their path has been? Yeah, and I think once... Once somebody finds their path or finds their niche, it, it's sort of like, okay, this is it. I'm going to make this work. And always to remember that there could be many, um, you know, that path can, can take many turns as well, that you may start doing one thing or and then realize, oh, no, wait, this isn't quite right or I'm not just, I'm not loving this. And you'll just sort of take a turn and make a change and, and then find another niche and yeah, it is. I think the career path of the visual artist is is a, a very creative path <laughs> in that sense. But the the key is, I think, always finding something that you love doing. Mm-hmm. That you know, I always think that the worst thing you could be doing is something you hate mm-hmm. in life. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's a lot of things that I love doing that don't make any money. <laughs> If but you know the key I mean. is to try and find right. a way to make money doing those things you right. love. Right, right, right. And I guess that's kind of where most of us, where most of us are. You know, yeah, it's just trying yeah. to figure out that balance. And and again, it's like it's not like I want to make money doing this. It's like I got to feed my family, 
and yeah. and do something I enjoy, right? Yeah, and some you know sometimes you you know it means having a job that mm-hmm. that basically feeds the family, so you can do <laughs> do what you want, you know, with right. with your art. Um, and yeah, just finding that balance, I think, is is a really important aspect to being a visual artist. Well, we're, we're going to go to a quick break here. Uh, again, we're talking with Al Denier, a professor at the University of Utah and an artist. And we will be right back to talk with her about her path specifically, just kind of more details about how she got to where she is. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Path of Art. I'm here with Al Denyer. She is our guest for today, a professor up at the University of Utah and an artist. We talked a lot about her art in the first half. Uh, now, Al, I want to get into your path specifically. What, I mean, what got you interested in creating and teaching? I know that's that's kind of a two-part thing because you're both a, a an artist and a professor of art. And so... Um, I mean, what just got you interested in all of this art stuff, you know, (laughs) to begin with? Well, firstly, creating art. Um, Visual art was something I was always, I always gravitated towards, even as a young child. And I always wanted to be an artist and was determined to make that happen. And Mm. um, I mean, that was it, really. (laughs) It's like, this is what I want to do. I mean, I don't want to do anything else. And, And so it I, I guess it became about you know okay how am I going to how am how am I going to become a visual artist? Um, so that's how I got into the creating side of, of the art, and then teaching was um, a little not not as predictable in a way. Um, while I was an undergraduate student, which was a while ago, um, I was asked to teach um, some art. Um, I believe they were drawing workshops for high school kids as well as adults. Uh, and up to that point, I'd not really thought about going into teaching. Um, however, I realized how much I really enjoyed teaching as a result of these workshops. And um, I was consequently asked to teach more and teaching became part of what I did. And, and it, it just, that's essentially how I got into teaching. I just realized it was something I really loved doing and um and you kind of had a knack yeah. for it. I, I guess. And yeah, since 
you know, since that starting point, I think I, I've taught continuously in the community as well as school and colleges mm-hmm. since that point. So that that was how I got into teaching. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just something I really love doing. Mm-hmm. And so was uh, what what experience kind of led you to pursuing your passion as a career? I mean, I know we talked about how it was just kind of always your thing, you know, you always just wanted to be that since you were a kid. But uh, was there anything along the way that kind of pushed you into making it your career? I think um, I was always really inspired by looking at <clears throat> at art in museums and galleries um, and also meeting artists and, and just being determined to make that happen early on in my life. Um, I remember as a teenager in high school, I asked a lot of questions on how to become an artist. Like, how can I, how can I do this? And um, just found out as much as I could early on. Um, you know, you know what what is the path to becoming a visual artist? And was told, oh yeah, what what you want to do is go to art school, and uh, and so that became my focus. And then finding out, well, what do I need to go to art school? What do I need to get into art school? And in in the UK, uh, it's a slightly different system where um, you have to apply to an art school with a portfolio, or you did back then when I was um, applying. And so that became a a good focus for me as a teenager to uh, work on uh, producing this the best body of artwork I could so that I could move on to the next step, get into art school and then essentially start my career as a visual artist that way. So after starting your career, was there anything that uh, kind of led to your the first success of your career? Uh, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people would imagine, hey, I got into a gallery. <laughs> You know? Yeah, <laughs> but that's not always the case. That's not always a success, but uh, it could be. What what would what would you say was that first success in your career? Um, I think uh, I think of it more as an opportunity, and um, you know, throughout my career, it's been opportunities that I feel have really um, made my career. You know, you'll get one opportunity, and it will lead on to something else. And that leads on to something else, etc. Um, but for me, I think it was my acceptance into my first art school program. Um, and it was an incredible year. It was just a one-year program. And um, that that was the first time in my life that I'd just been doing art all day, every day. And I was so incredibly happy doing that and just realizing that, oh my gosh, I've been waiting so long to just be doing this, and this is fabulous. Um, and it was a significant point, significant point in my career as it served as just this reinforcement of my convictions that this was really what I wanted to do in my life. And, mm-hmm. and you know, from there it, it led on to more opportunities. Right. And so what, um, what was kind of like the drive that... Or, I mean, what was kind of the the thing that brought those opportunities? Was it just getting getting out there, like unintroverting, doing <laughs> that type of thing? Like, what what was that? Um, I guess yeah, just making work. And I think always as a visual artist, you're always 
you always want to be making work. Essentially, it's your work that speaks. And so you always want to be making the best work that you can possibly make and just trying to get that out there and and applying for different things. And that's where opportunities arise when, um, you know, you'll get accepted into something or you'll get asked to do something and um, then that will quite often lead on to something else. So it's it's kind of that web of human relationships, you know, that just kind of develops as you as you go along with just doing your own thing and kind of kind of makes art in itself, right? Yeah, and it's sort of a lot of it is building your CV. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll sort of be asked, you'll get one opportunity to do one thing. And then because you've already, you have you now have experience doing that, you then get asked to do that again, but in a different setting. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're constantly building on that. Right. And uh, so, what what did you learn from from that first success? Did you did you get any lessons, like life lessons that after that you were just kind of like it, it, like anything that kind of made the path a little easier from that point on? Um, so tell me about a time where things didn't look like, you know, it didn't look so rosy, like your, your future was not looking exactly the way you had pictured it. You know, how, how did you look through or get through going through those times where it didn't look like it was going to work out? Um, I think throughout my career (laughs) is the answer to that. Um, in, in this field, rejection is part of the life of the artist and um you know often you apply for things and you get rejected and Mm -hmm. it's not unusual to have more rejections and acceptances and Mm -hmm. sometimes the pendulum swings and it goes the other way and you're suddenly uh so overworked that you're like oh my gosh how am i gonna (laughs) deal with this um but yeah that's that's just how it is you get you 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 know, some things you'll get accepted for and other things you don't. And you just have to um, learn very quickly to move on, brush it off, um, deal with the rejections. And, um, you know, it, it's not a big deal. It's just part and parcel of it. Um, you have to stay focused on your own goals, I, w- I would say, and just not let rejections derail your focus and undermine your confidence because I think it's very easy for that to happen. Um, often you do get rejected from an exhibition because your work is just simply not a good fit uh, with the other work that has been selected or, or the decisions that the curator is making. Yeah, quite often I'll, you know, I think about why I was rejected and um, it's not always easy to work out why and sometimes you have to see the show, for example... Um, after the fact and then you realize oh yeah of course my work just doesn't fit in this show Mm -hmm. you know uh so yeah it's good to to just process it but not lose focus in what you're doing um and that's something i learned very early on in my career that uh continues to serve me today that just not to take rejections to heart just to to move on and stay focused and uh stay confident in what i'm doing and just stay true to myself and you know this is the work I'm doing and it's it's okay if if it doesn't 
it doesn't fit with something with an exhibition or a grant or something that I've applied for. So, so what do you get out of art? I mean, there's, you know, we're always trying to talk about trying to make a living off uh, out of art, but what do you get out of art? What, what does art do for you? Ooh, (laughs) I think probably most visual artists will give you the same answer in in that I, I just feel driven to make art. I mean, that's, it's something I do. It's something that I feel I need to do as an individual and um, nothing makes me happier than than being in the studio and, and just having that focus and, and just, just making art. I mean, it's a visual language. It's something that, that I use to um, communicate with, if you will, and... Um, yeah, I, I, it's a hard one to answer. <laughs> I think it's you, visual artists. We just feel driven. I mean, that's what leads us to create in the first right. place. Yeah, and that seems that seems to be the thing that that kind of drives getting through those rough times, right? Where it, yeah, you just you just feel like you have to do it. Yeah, right? yeah, and a lot of the time, you know, when you start working on a piece, um you're just making work and you're making it for yourself. And that's, that's, I think, part of it too. I mean, sometimes you'll, when you do a commission piece, it's slightly different. You're making it for somebody else. But, but essentially when you're in the studio, you're making work for yourself and, and therefore, yeah, you, it's just something you do. It's just part of your life. <laughs> so what is the one thing that you wish that you had known before you started out on this path? Oh, uh, I think one, that it's okay to be yourself and make work that you personally want to make. Um, Two, always ask yourself who you are in competition with. And at the end of the day, it is only yourself. Uh, (laughs) uh, For fear of sounding old, when I started my career, there was no internet, mobile phones or social media. Mm -hmm. And so... Research consisted of going to a library or as many museums or galleries that that I could physically get to. And as a young artist, there was a certain um, a certain sort of mystery surrounding the path to success. Um, but I think today it's so much easier for young artists to get information and see examples of images of other artists' work. Um, or also to track artists, you know, see an artist they like and like, well, how did that person get to where they are? And you can find that out just on your phone, which is so much easier. <laughs> right. Um, and I was always, um, I was always uncomfortable with this idea of competition between my peers. And I feel that often um, it becomes a monster in the room where you feel that, this this idea of competition take it takes up too much space mm-hmm. um, and too much energy. Um, it's important to just let that go and and just remind yourself that okay, I'm not in competition with other artists. I'm in competition with myself. That this is it's about me. You know, the competition is what is the most important. What is the best work that I can make? That's the competition that you, as a, an artist, are are dealing with. 
And as I said before, that your artwork will speak for itself at the end of the day. It's, it's the artwork, it's the work that you're producing that, that is going to give you um, just the, the best you can possibly get. And so if you had some advice to give to, to anyone, and, and possibly you give this advice to, to some of your students, uh, but it, if you had any advice to, get, to give to anyone that's going to start out on a creative path like this, what would that be? I would say determination will serve you well. Be brave, stay positive, take advantage of opportunities. And also maybe recognize opportunities because that's sometimes yeah. hard, would you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think and sometimes too, I think it's easy to be afraid of, of an opportunity that oh, yeah. if someone asks you, can you, do you think you could do this? I need someone who can do this and and sort of seeing that as an opportunity and, and saying, well, you know, I'll give it a go and who knows where that would lead and um yeah, just not being afraid to take those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the other thing I always tell um, young artists and students, you don't do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I get my students to repeat after me, we don't do it for free. <laughs> don't do it for free. That is great advice. Well, we don't do something for free is, is the main thing. So what would you say about... <laughs> about like kind of those cultural difficulties between artists and the rest of the way that society works where it's like everyone loves loves in quotes loves art but they don't love it enough to want to pay for it yeah i think a lot of it is a lot of people just don't realize um the value or the amount of time that goes into making artwork and that's that is the disconnect. I think there is quite often a feeling that, oh, yeah, you can just say, make something in 30 minutes, Duh. painting and call it done sort of thing and then sell it for millions or whatever. And, you know, the reality of that is, I mean, that's not, a, that's not realistic. Not at all. <laughs> um, and then the other thing too is to remember that, you know, there's a lot that goes into um, behind the scenes of making art. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone spent however many years at art school and, you know, the cost of that, um, as well as the cost of materials or, um, you know, the however many pieces you've had to make that didn't work out to get to the point that you're able to make a piece that, you know, that you're you're able to sell. And so there, there are a lot of um, hidden costs or... Um, you know, just use of time that that I think is it's easy to overlook that that yeah artists maybe, spend a lot of time making their work right, and then maybe that needs to be communicated somehow to to the rest of the world that are potential um, potential customers of your art. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, I think as well, you know, as as artists, you know. Trying, you know, educating people when people will ask you to do something for free or do it for exposure, um, to just sort of say, you know, that, that like I, I have to pay bills too, you know. <laughs> right, I have a family to feed. <laughs> you know, and I'd really like. I think it. You know, I need to be paid for this, and and standing ground, and just 
Mm. Um, just making it clear that, you know, you wouldn't ask, you know, you wouldn't ask a lawyer to do something for free. So yeah. why ask an artist? And yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people would ask their nephew to <laughs> photograph their wedding instead <laughs> of pay for it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, what is next for you, Al? What's, uh, what's next on the horizon for you? Well, I'm working on new work um, that I hope to have out uh, hopefully in the spring, later this year. And um, I have work in a a big project uh, that is due to open sometime in the summer, and that's in London. Um, Let's see. The new painting I mentioned is currently at Modern West Fine Art, and um, also it can be seen on my website along with um, other work that I'm I'm creating. Is Modern West Fine Art a place here in Utah or is that somewhere else? Yeah, it's here in uh, Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, cool. And it's a, a gallery. All right. Well, yeah, so everyone out there listening, get out and see art. Go and uh, check out Al Danier if you haven't seen her stuff. It's pretty cool, uh, especially if you're if if you really like line creating form. It's 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 really cool stuff. And so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Al. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. This has been great. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, sure thing. <laughs> and uh, this is another episode of The Path of Art. We will catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Path of Art. If you or someone you know is creative and would like to tell your story, reach out to me at rmeeks at ksl.com. I might feature you on the show. If you liked our conversation, please make sure you follow the show and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help people to discover the show. Also, make sure you follow The Path of Art podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.